You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, November 22nd, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Nathaniel Weinsapple speaks with Allison Alde, a member of the environmental activist group Sunrise Bloomington, to better understand what they hope to achieve and how optimistic they are for the future. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, state lawmakers will reconvene before the end of the month to potentially end the state's public health order and make it more difficult for employers to require the COVID-19 vaccine. More in today's headlines. On November 17th, at the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting, Board of Health Director Penny Cottle gave a sobering update on COVID-19 cases in Monroe County. Our cases rose this week. They are similar to what they were a couple of weeks ago. Our daily case rate is running in the upper 20s. Um, today, I think it's 50. So, um, you know, it, it varies a little bit from the weekends tend to drop because there's less testing. And then we do see at the beginning of the week sometimes an increase because kind of catch up on those. Um, But what is probably some of the most disturbing to me is that this is the 17th of November and we have had over 11 deaths this month alone. At almost one a day. And while many of them are older, so some people say it's because people are older and they have underlying health conditions, we are seeing younger people pass. And if you look at the percentage of people who pass in different age groups, you will see that dropping. And that is very concerning. I don't want anyone to die. I don't care how old you are. But certainly, um, we don't want to continue this trend. She said the Board of Health will be meeting to discuss how to address the rise in COVID-19 cases. Commissioner Penny Givens responded that community members should get their flu shots to limit the number of people going to the hospital. I need to remind folks, too, to please get their flu shots because one of the things we can't have both COVID and flu overtaking our health care system. Um, people, people need to be able to have surgeries, other care when they need it. And that we're, we don't need to see that again. We can stop this. The next Board of Commissioners meeting will be on December 1st. On November 17th, the Bloomington City Council Committee of the Whole discussed the Humane Pet Shop Ordinance to address the issues with commercial pet shops to prevent cat and dog mills where the animals are kept in inhumane conditions. Indiana State Director at the Humane Society of the United States, Samantha Morton, explained how city ordinances can help communities ensure more humane conditions for cats and dogs. I wanted to give a little bit of background um, on on this issue. So um, you may know that um, puppy mills are, are a big issue here in Indiana. And over the years at the Humane Society of the United States, we have connected the sale of dogs and cats at pet stores to inhumane puppy mills. 
And over the last uh, several years, um, we've seen a nationwide trend of communities demanding the humane sourcing of pets in their communities. And they've been doing this by passing humane pet store ordinances in their communities, much like the ordinance that you're considering here this evening. So uh, to date, there's been uh, 400 ordinances that have passed in 31 states. Council member Isabel Piedmont-Smith presented the ordinance changes and explained how the ordinance would address cat and puppy mills by eliminating the market for them. The problem is that dogs and cats sold in pet shops are often sourced from puppy or kitten mills where conditions are inhumane. And um, occasionally it's, it's not, uh, you know, the pet shop is trying to do everything they can to um, make sure their suppliers are, um, are, have, are businesses of integrity. But uh, sometimes, um, you know, there's, there's obfuscation, there's a, a will to hide the reality of what's going on in these places. So um, these ordinances have... Um, been a strong tool in trying to uh, stem the um, the proliferation of these mills uh, in order to you know to cut cut the cut the pipeline basically um, so that there are fewer places that would actually purchase from these mills. She said that the current consumer protection requirements are insufficient to tackle the problem. She explained the ordinance would be effective by January 1st, 2023, to give pet shops time to change their business model, and shared that the Humane Society provides marketing assistance to help pet shops with the transition. Council member Susan Sandberg added that the community has asked for changes like this to take place, and she feels confident this ordinance fairly allows businesses enough time to come into compliance with the new regulations. This has been a long time in the vetting process as for um, the members of the community that have approached the council to sponsor this ordinance. And so I do believe we have given it great thought. We have uh, uh, vetted all the uh, consequences and we feel very comfortable at this point with the community being so much in favor of this. In fact, a lot of people who we have approached in the research of this ordinance have said this is long in coming. This is something I think uh, much of the Bloomington community supports and had been hoping for for a long time. And so as we've weighed and measured um, what we should be doing going forward here, we feel very comfortable with the ordinance in particular with the year that we have uh, granted as a grace period for the pet shops who will be uh, most affected to come into compliance with this. Council member Matt Flaherty asked about the implications of banning the sale of cats and dogs versus enforcing more strict regulations to ensure the ordinance doesn't just shift the sale into underground sales rather than eliminating it. I would like to ban the existence of puppy mills. My concern is that banning pet store sales of puppy of, of animals is not going to accomplish that and in fact may exacerbate those things in some ways. So that's, that's the question is I, I, specifically comparative research, like quantitative metrics um, of different places that have enacted bans or not, and looking at you know pre and post numbers of, of how this has impacted illegal sales of animals, for instance, unregulated sales or other um, sort of metrics that I think are relevant to this conversation of like the overall goal of increasing animal welfare. 
Councilmember Dave Rollo agreed with Flaherty that under normal circumstances, prohibiting the sale of something could lead to the market going underground. However, he said there are still legal alternatives, such as the Humane Society and small breeders who would continue to legally and ethically sell animals. During public comment, owner of Delilah's pet shop, Leslie Henderson Miller, spoke about the shop that her mother started and asked the council to not pass the ordinance. The thing is, is if we've been here 45 years and we've always had a clean checkup from the shelter and nobody to say anything bad about any of the things we've done, that ought to be something that you take and factor that not all people or places are created equal. There are some good places that have local raised animals to love. And don't push them on people to sell them. Don't elevate the prices just because it's a male or a female. It's about a living soul. And that baby is going to be with you for a very long time. And that's an important thing to share with that family. Not that it's just a cute little soul and you need to take something home. Not every pet store is bad. The council will discuss the ordinance again at the next meeting on December 1st. Indiana lawmakers will reconvene for a one-day session before the end of November. The purpose of the meeting? To reconsider how private businesses can mandate the COVID-19 vaccine and to hear a bill that would allow Governor Eric Holcomb to end the state's public health emergency. Last Tuesday, Holcomb released a statement that he wanted to end the public health emergency responsibly by passing three statutory measures. Those measures include to continue enhanced federal matching funds for Medicaid expenditures, receiving federal food assistance, and the ability to vaccinate 5- to 11-year-olds. According to Our World in Data, about half of Indiana's population are fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, state lawmakers are trying to make it more difficult for private businesses to require the vaccine. In proposed legislation for the special session, lawmakers would require businesses to allow exemptions for pregnancy, anticipated pregnancy, and for religious reasons. The preliminary draft of the bill also states that employees can submit to weekly testing if they do not want to get the vaccine. Furthermore, the bill says that an employer cannot deny an employee's request for exemption. The 2022 legislative session does not begin until January of next year. However, this rare special session might put an end to Indiana's public health order, which went into effect in March 2020. Sunrise Bloomington, a local subset of the nationwide Sunrise Movement, recently made headlines for their calls for the Indiana University Foundation to divest from fossil fuels and reinvest in clean energy. WFHB correspondent Nathaniel Weinsapple speaks with Allison Aldi, a member of Sunrise Bloomington, to better understand what they hope to achieve and how optimistic they are for the future. This is what the movement looks like. This is what the movement looks like. This is what the movement looks like. 
What you just listened to is from a recent protest from the nationwide climate change organization called the Sunrise Movement. Launched in 2017, the Sunrise Movement was founded to, quote, shift the Overton window on climate policy, unquote, and promote strong environmental policies, such as the Green New Deal. The movement organizes multiple protests for this cause and has many hubs throughout the country, including in Bloomington, Indiana. Sunrise Bloomington member Allison Aldi, a student at Indiana University studying environmental health, recently spoke with WFHB to help better explain what the Sunrise Movement is and how the Bloomington Movement differs. The Sunrise Movement is a nationwide movement led by climate activists, and our goals are to promote sustainability and climate justice. Um, Specifically for our Bloomington hub, we have the goal right now to encourage IU to disclose how much they have invested in fossil fuels, to divest and then to reinvest into sustainable organizations. As Allison stated, Sunrise Bloomington seeks to have Indiana University, quote, disclose, divest, and reinvest, unquote. And Allison provides an understanding of what this means. Indiana University is a public institution. Where their investments are is not public information. So our first demand is to disclose. So we want Indiana University to disclose how much money they have invested in fossil fuels. Once we've reached that goal, our next goal is to demand that Indiana University divest from any fossil fuel industry. And then with that money that they have divested, we want them to reinvest into sustainable companies and sustainable organizations rather than organizations that are causing the destruction of our planet. Over the past few years, Sunrise Bloomington and other organizations have sought to have meetings with the Indian University Foundation to help further their cause. Allison explained what purpose the meetings hold in the overall goals of Sunrise Bloomington. With our meetings, we are hoping to meet with the IU Foundation. And by we, I don't just mean the Sunrise Movement Bloomington Hub, I mean the entire community, the IU community, um, the Bloomington community, the Indiana community. Um, We want to have an open dialogue with IU Foundation to make sure that the money that we pay with our tuition is going to sustainable organizations rather than to fossil fuel industries. And we want that conversation to be an open and public conversation. Back in October, the Indian University Foundation and Sunrise Bloomington had actually organized a face-to-face meeting to discuss these goals. However, the meeting was canceled by the IU Foundation due to Sunrise's call for the meeting to be both public and for the community to participate. Sunrise was motivated by the need for transparency, with IU hoping for a more private conversation. Despite the setback, Allison is hopeful for a future meeting. I think that Indiana University Foundation, based off uh, what they're saying publicly about their goals to sustainability, I think that they are taking the climate crisis seriously. And the next step to prove to us that they are taking the climate crisis seriously is to divest from fossil fuels. Early this year, Indiana University named Pamela Witten as the 19th president of the university. 
After years of unsuccessful calls for the university to divest from fossil fuels, Sunrise Bloomington is optimistic that the change in leadership will finally bring them the opportunity they were looking for. You know, I'm really hopeful. Um, President Pamela Whitman, she recently made a statement about um, Indiana University's promise to sustainability, mentioning some things, including IUPUI and how we rank with sustainability worldwide. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, I think that the next step to really fulfilling that promise to sustainability and to climate justice is to divest from fossil fuels. So I personally feel like Indiana University wants to do this. While Sunrise Bloomington may seem extremely critical of Indiana University, Allison explains that this is not the case and that their concerns come from a place of appreciation for the university as a whole. I am really proud to be a Hoosier. I myself am a student at Indiana University studying environmental health, and I'm really proud to be a part of this educational institution. Um, But I do really encourage that Indiana University disclose if they want to stick to their promise of sustainability. The best way to do that is to divest from fossil fuels. Nothing can go wrong by divesting from fossil fuels. And in fact, not divesting is going to have a bigger impact on the lives of not only Hoosiers, but the rest of the world. If any listener supports Sunrise Bloomington or wants to support, Allison states that, You can find us on Instagram at Sunrise B-Town, on Twitter at Sunrise B-Town, and on Facebook at Sunrise Bloomington. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinsaffel. Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. On Thursday, Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt commuted the death sentence of Julius Jones to life in prison without the possibility of parole amid protests and a last-minute court appeal that argued the state's execution process amounted to, quote, cruel and unusual punishment. Jones's supporters staged days of protests in advance of his scheduled execution, which was to take place at 5 p.m. Thursday at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in McAllister. Jones has maintained his innocence for more than two decades in the 1999 murder of Paul Howell, a businessman in the affluent Oklahoma City suburb of Edmond. On Wednesday, students at high schools across Oklahoma City walked out of their classes in support of Jones' appeal. Prayer vigils were held at the state capitol, and barricades were erected outside the governor's mansion. Celebrities pleaded his case on Twitter and other social media. Attorneys for Jones filed a motion Thursday seeking an injunction to halt his execution based on, quote, important new evidence from the October 28th execution of inmate John Grant, who vomited and convulsed repeatedly before being declared dead. The motion argued Grant's execution provides, quote, compelling evidence that the execution process in Oklahoma and the use of midazolam, a controversial drug, quote, pose a serious and substantial risk of suffering and pain to prisoners, end quote. 
In the moments after the announcement, supporters gathered outside the Oklahoma State Penitentiary rejoiced, and clergymen led the group in prayer and song. Protesters outside the governor's office at the state capitol also celebrated the decision. Jones's mother, Madeline Davis Jones, spoke to a group of about 300 people who gathered Wednesday at the capitol outside Stitt's office, chanting and singing hymns. Quote, I don't want to go to a lynching, she said. Why would I want to see someone hang? We should be through with that. Do you want your baby, your child, to be hanged? End quote. Kindline airs at 5.30 p.m. each Friday on WFHB Community Radio. The program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Nathaniel Weinzappel. Kite Line is produced by Mia Beach. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. And I'm Nikki Stewart-Ingersoll. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 